A From Dublin to Cleveland production. Hello and welcome to From Dublin to Cleveland. I am your host, Logan Howard, and I am joined by the Ramses to my Moses. It is Brendan Thomas Merritt. <laughs> How's it going, Brendan? Uh, I'm not entirely sure why I'm the brother who dies at the end, spoiler alert, but... Oh, and the me a bit confusing. Mostly good, thanks. <laughs> okay, why am I the evil one? <laughs> anyway, if you didn't get that from our introduction, we are doing a review on the Prince of Egypt. And so Brendan has, has graciously provided us some very deep and theological questions um, that we will now go through. So I'll turn it over to him and he will ask and I shall answer. And he shall answer as well. <laughs> All right, bro. So, uh, you know, not everyone may know what the Prince of Egypt is. You know, some people happen to be living under a rock or in the middle of mm. the desert for some strange reason. Um, but Prince of Egypt, summarize. What is the message of the movie? What is the point? Why should people watch it? Um, the message, so if it is about Moses and, um, it's the story of the deliverance of Egypt by God. Um, and so the message is, is portraying God's working and sovereignly delivering the people of Israel through Moses. Um, there, I'm sure there is some underlying subliminal messaging that the people who, run DreamWorks are probably trying to get you that, oh, just believe in humans. But in reality, the real message is how God works through people and works through Moses. So I guess, I guess if that's, uh, if that's what you're looking for, Brendan. <laughs> that's great. That's great. Yeah. When you watch the trailer, it's definitely, it definitely seems to be trumping up the uh the human spirit and human character and bravery and courage obviously those things are all required in order for Moses to do what he did but yeah as christians we watch it and uh we can be totally captivated by god's love for his people and just how viciously he fought to free them so ultimately he's trying to free them from pharaoh ramesses who happens to be uh, has been raised as Moses' older brother. Uh, Moses murders a slave driver, runs into the wilderness, comes back and finds his half-brother, or stepbrother is now the king of Egypt. Um, they have this strange dichotomous relationship where there aren't enemies, but also there is deep love and respect there too. If a psychologist were to look at the actions of Ramesses, what do you think the psychologist would say about him? So I would say a psychologist would probably be curious as to his desire and goal to not be the worst uh, Egyptian ruler. Um, and I think in his desire to do that, mm -hmm. he ends up ends up doing exactly what he doesn't want to do. He ends up getting his all of his chariots and mm. armies destroyed when and losing even his son so mm. that there isn't another link 
in the chain. Um, all because he doesn't want to be the yeah. weakest link, he becomes the okay. weakest link. And um, sometimes when we strive to wow. do something so hard, we're not really being wise and making the right choices. We're just focusing on one aspect that of a, of in his he was focusing on strength. He needed to be strong and needed to look strong and um, worried about what other people thought of him and yeah. what the world thought of him and not what was the right thing to do. So wow. Yeah, I totally agree with that. There's a, a wonderful scene in the in the opening uh few minutes where Moses and Ramesses are just horsing around Egypt and absolutely destroy the place. And uh the then Pharaoh, Ramesses' actual father and Moses' stepfather, if you will, um, does discipline them both harshly. Um, and he tells Ramesses that he's built a great empire, great dynasty, but one weak link breaks a chain that has been potentially generations or even centuries in the making. Um, and what I think is particularly interesting about Ramesses is that it's not only his role as the king, but also there is a deep, though ever withering, love for Moses because they had been raised as brothers. Um, so even though he is doing everything he can to hold on to the crown that he did not work for, didn't fight for, just given to him. He's watching it all slip away, but he's not looking inward. He's not saying, I'm proud, I'm arrogant, I've forced these people to slay, this is my fault. He's projecting, he needs someone else to blame. And ultimately, he blames Moses. Um... Just after the plague sequence, there's a scene where Moses goes to talk to Ramesses. And at this stage, Egypt is undergoing the plague of darkness. And the pharaoh's son's very, very scared. And the son just goes, you know, what is he doing here? So basically, he just like hates Moses to bits. And Ramesses turns to Moses and basically says... I don't know why you're doing this. I don't know why you're inflicting us with these plagues. That he was so utterly conceited, prideful, arrogant, and had lost all sense of a moral compass and center, that he couldn't even see just how evil he was. His sense of morality had been seared. Um, so it's spoken about, you know, the, the main plot line is God using Moses to rescue Hebrews from slavery. And that would be the, the the central conflict, the big one that drives the narrative. But sometimes the protagonist as an individual has conflicts which stray from the overarching conflict. What kind of conflicts does Moses have on a personal level? And in what way, you know, could you perhaps relate to them or sympathize with him more? Well, for him, he has this, Ramses was his brother. Now, biblically, there's not 
we're not sure which for Pharaoh or how this goes in, in the Bible, but in this story, it's, he's, it's his brother who he grew up with mm. all of his life. And his brother is standing in his way, in God's way of, of letting Israel go. And, um, Normally, if you have a sibling yeah. or a brother, you would think that you'd be able to convince them to do the right thing and that they would listen to you. And when you say something, they would go, oh, yeah, I'll do that. And that's not the case for Ramses and Pharaoh. Mm. And Pharaoh, said, Pharaoh is so caught up in his own pride that he doesn't, he doesn't listen to his, his wise brother who is saying, asking him to let and do the right thing. Um, now we know behind the scenes of because it says about how God is hardening Pharaoh's heart and God is working on Pharaoh, um, which is is and can be a scary thing to think about because that means that God is intimately involved mm. in situations and things and controls um, people's hearts and their attitudes and push it and he he's like there and part of the story and moving and working behind the scenes and that can be a little scary because. Well, is God doing that on purpose? Is he doing that so that, you know, to be devious or anything? He's doing it so that he gets the most glory out of it. Because none of the the miracles and all the stuff that happen continually are only because of him. And if he just lets the people go, mm. God's glory isn't shown as much as Ramsey's graciousness is shown. Um, and that could be a hard hard topic and a hard thing to rectify but that is genuinely what is happening in this story so uh brendan how about you yeah and just on that you know exodus tells us both there are times that it says the lord hardened pharaoh's heart and there are times that it says that you know the king was harsh hardened of its, of its own accord uh, and i remember reading that as a child and thinking <gasps> what if my heart gets hardened by God? Does that mean that I'm going to burn in hell for all of eternity? It's not my choice. But I, what I like is, after a few thousand years have passed, God finally decided to actually explain what that means. And uh, he spoke to the Apostle Paul um, in the letter of Romans and said that it's not just predestination, but it's also foreknowledge. And God knew beforehand that Pharaoh was not going to let the people go. Um, and therefore, you're right, made an example of him, set him up to take a fall, and ultimately gave him many, many amazing opportunities uh, to show miracles and his glory on a level, likes of which had never been seen before, and to this day have not really been seen since. Um, but I think what I like with Moses' story is he gets no pleasure or delight in these plagues. Um, he is passionate about justice and seeing the captive released. Mm -hmm. But even when the Red Sea closes and uh, all Egyptians have been slain, he, he's not jumping up and down singing hallelujah over their watery grave. Um, he looks very... I'm almost remiss. Um, he never once loses that sense of compassion and heart for the one who had been raised mm. as his brother. Um, so 
yeah, there, there, there's a, a struggle there between wanting God's plan to unfold, but also recognizing that the one he loves is actually a servant of the enemy and uh, is the main obstacle. Uh, but he has this wonderful love, both for justice and for his enemy, that I think it's very hard to, uh, to perhaps reproduce in other kinds of movies. Um, it's often said that, you know, yeah. depth of feeling is what makes a film worth watching. It actually has to register with your emotional core. Um, of the many, <laughs> many feelings expressed in this film, and oh my goodness, in like every shot, you have multiple feelings and sensations going on. Um, by which were you yeah. most impacted? Yeah. Um, I think the one that was the most impactful was probably Moses leaving Egypt um, and Ramsey's doing everything he can to stop him from leaving okay. and trying to get him to stay and saying his name and saying, hey, we can, after killing the slave we driver. can fix this. We can, we, yeah, after killing the slave yeah. driver, we can fix this. We can, we, I, I can forgive mm. you of all the wrong you did and I can make this right and Moses saying, no, I have to go. Um, and that's a, a tough, that's a tough thing, mm -hmm. like on both sides, because Ramsey sees it as this is an easy fix to a solution. There's easy solution to this problem. And Moses is, yeah, the solution is I need to go away and I need to go and move on. And um, again, this isn't something that's like addressed in the Bible that this happens, but um, the way they put it in the story uh, makes sense and logically is very heart-wrenching when that sort of stuff happens, that you need to leave and you need to leave your family members. And um, So, yeah, that, that would be my answer to that question. Wow. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, that's a, a, such a powerful scene. Um, and I think the one which I find most impacting is when he leaves Egypt for the second time. <laughs> when uh, the Red Sea parts, uh, they cross it and it comes mm. crashing down again. Because if you can kind of consider the final 15 or 20 minutes or so of the movie, there isn't really a heck of a lot of dialogue. Now you've got a song when you believe um, sandwiched in there. But a lot of it is just the musical score. Um, like, you know, let's say you've got a little bit of ex exposition about um, the lamb's blood over the, the doorframe, um, and then they, they walk, sing a little song, get, get chased, and so you stand on the, on the other side of, of the sea, and then you've got the Ten Commandments scene. Well, there isn't really have a lot of dialogue. Um, but if you just look at their faces, like if you were to watch them crossing the Red Sea and seeing the sea come back down again on mute, and you just looked at their faces, oh my goodness, powerful, powerful stuff. Um, that this is a people who spent 400 years in bondage, in slavery. Um, getting lashed with whips 
and getting beaten to the ground. Um, seeing their workload intensify, but never decrease. Mm. And then all of a sudden, they're free. Free to live, free to love, free to explore, and free to enter into a land that they knew had been promised to them through their ancestral line. It's just phenomenal. Phenomenal. Yeah. Um, okay, let's talk about a controversial scene. Yeah. How does the tone help guide the viewers into an emphatic reaction story? So let's consider the smiting of the firstborn. Again, you've got a little bit of exposition about the lamb's blood. Um, if either lamb's blood, the lamb's blood's on the door, God's spirit will pass over. And so it's called Passover. If your yeah. lamb's blood is not over your door, yeah. you're going to wake up and uh, not have a firstborn anymore. Um, hmm. how, do you, how do you think um, the tone of, of that mostly wordless scene um, creates such an emphatic reaction in audiences? What are your thoughts? Um, I think it's a it's a difficult scene to rectify. I mean, um, it comes down to what your view mm. of God is. If your view of God is poor or faulty, then you would see this as a yeah. violent God killing for no, no or little apparent reason. Um, yeah. But the thing is he makes a way of escape from it. Mm. He made a way so that even if the Egyptians had put blood on their doorposts, yeah. they would have been fine. They would have been protected. Right. Um, and so True. that whole story is a picture of exactly what, what Jesus is and what Jesus did uh, dying on a cross for us is um, we all deserve Amen. death. We all deserve to die like Amen. the firstborns did. We all deserve that period, that end of story. Yeah. Um, but God was gracious and gave a way yeah. of escape from it by putting blood on the door, by Jesus dying on the cross for us. That was our way of escape from brutal death, eternity, and hell. Um, so that's sort of what that picture is there for, is to remind us that God is gracious Amen. because we all deserve we all deserve hell. We all deserve death. That's what we deserve as sinners, as people separated from God. But so the focus is not on his his violence, but on his graciousness. So, uh, how about you, Brendan? Amen. Yeah, I love I, I love that. Yeah, um, it's one of those where God did not do anything to the Egyptians in that scene that He did not do to His own Son. Jesus is the firstborn of all creation, though He's still eternal. I haven't quite worked that one out, but God knows. <laughs> um, yeah. And just like he inflicted death on the firstborn son, yeah. um, a household that did not have the blood of the lamb over the, the wooden doorpost, in the very same way, he put his own firstborn son, Jesus, on a wooden post called the cross for us. And in the same way, you know, when David committed adultery with Bathsheba, um, you know, their firstborn son through that marriage 
also died. And it's horrific, and it's tragic. And you're like, God, kill Bathsheba. Heck, kill David, not the baby. But David committed a heck of a lot of sins <laughs> since meeting that woman. Um, and he only... And it starts off with him not being on the battlefield, not being where he's supposed to be. But then after his son dies, yeah. he gets up, worships God. And where is he when you next see him? On the battlefield where he needs to be. Yeah. It is repentance. It's a 180 degree turn. And it comes through the death of, of the innocent. In which case, the firstborn Egyptians and then David's son, they're all pictures of Jesus. And uh, what ultimately... Yeah, be our salvation. A story, I think of John five twenty four, where Jesus says, "Anyone who hears my voice and believes in me has received everlasting life. He has crossed over from death to life." And just as we've done it through his actual cross, the Hebrews did it by crossing the Red Sea, um, at, right out of Egypt. Yeah. And I'll give you one final one. Um, why is The Prince of Egypt the greatest animated movie of all time? Not is it. Why is it? Because I know you agree. Why is it? Um, why is it the greatest? Well, I don't agree with the preposition of that question. But um, if we were to, if in theory it were to be the greatest, it would probably rely on. It's uh, it it's a good mixture of music. It's a good mixture of. It's a it's a good mixture of music and storytelling, and um, does it in a a entertaining way, and that that uh portrays, um. Portrays and makes it into a a very impactful story. So that that's what my answer to that would be. <laughs> How about you, Brendan? <laughs> I don't like the ifs and woulds in your answer. Therefore, your answer is null and void. <laughs> this was not a second conditional question. <laughs> um... I love I love the music. Playing with the big boys now, Deliver Us. Ugh, amazing. Mm. I I love the visuals. Um the parting of the Red Sea. Um Moses hieroglyph dream where you see the babies being tossed in the Nile and being eaten by crocodiles. I mean you don't see that in any big children's movie. Um and while certain artistic liberties were taken with the storyline, which we expect um, for the sake of condensing the the movie and and the plot, I love how firstly it's it's a lot of it is is biblical and and, and accurate, um, but also it shows you the deprivations of human evil and God's ability to save. I think when we go through hard times, we often think to ourselves. Um, oh, how is God supposed to, like, help us? Like, these are unprecedented times. Uh. Every generation thinks that they're living the worst time ever. It's like an aphrodisiac to them. Whereas here, you're actually watching an animated movie 
where in the opening 30 seconds, you see men in their 80s and 90s getting whipped on their bareback. You see people getting pushed to the ground, knocked over, um, babies being slaughtered by crocodiles, swords, um, drowning. And still, God shows he's mighty to save. So it's very transparent with just how evil people are, just how lion-like and ferocious God is when it comes to justice. But um, I think it's super. I would sooner show a child the Prince of Egypt than a Disney movie at this point. I just think it's wonderful in every way. All right, guys. So um, you've heard our thoughts on the Prince of Egypt. We would love to hear yours. So don't be shy. Uh, send us emails um, or responses and let us know why you know. Not if you think. Why you know <laughs> is the best animated movie in the world. <laughs> and uh, give us your thoughts and your favorite scenes and moments. All right, Brodsky, over to you. Lead us in the word of God. Yes, Exodus 14. I'm not going to read anything specific. I'm not going to get into... Uh specifically uh, uh, read the whole chapter or anything like that. But that's where we're going to be. Is we're going to be in Exodus 14. Exodus 14 is about the Red Sea crossing. Um, and it's about Moses and the children of Israel having the situation, as we saw in the movie, where the Israelite, or the Egyptians are chasing the Israelites. They get to the Red Sea. They can't, can't cross. The only way they're getting through is with God. Um, and so for me... As, as you read through that, you see that uh, mm. the, the story continues and ends with Pharaoh's whole army getting destroyed by the waves crashing over them as the Israelites walk across on dry ground, get to the other side, and are perfectly protected and kept safe by God. Um, and so the thing I want to focus on mm. is, for me, I want us to look at verse 13. Um, and this is when they're all freaking out. They're worried that the Egyptians have chased after them. Um, and did you bring us up out of Egypt for us to die? You awful human that you are, Moses. Why did God do this? We're going to get murdered in the desert. And um, if any of you know anything about Israelites, this was like a big thing for them. Complaining, complaining, complaining. As so can we. We can easily get caught on our circumstances and not focus on the God who lives and rules through the circumstances. Mm -hmm. um, so here's what Moses says to the people. Do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, for he will accomplish for you today. For the, Lord, for the Egyptians whom you serve today or whom you see today, you shall see again no more. Um, and I'm sure a lot of people still were like, but I don't see how that's possible. But God does. God knows what he's doing. So what is our command? What do we need to do when we're in situations that we feel unwinnable or un, um, you know, our human effort can't get us through? Be still. See that God will take care of us. That the salvation comes from God and he will accomplish and help us through whatever we're going through. So that that's my word of encouragement today. Brendan, what, uh, what from chapter 14 that you uh, stuck out to you or felt impacted you this week? Yeah, what I like about it in particular is the standstill 
verse or our, our line. Um, I think so often we put such an emphasis in our lives on doing and, you know, do this, go there, speak to so-and-so, make sure you don't neglect this. Um, but there is great power and authority in standing still and in not giving up. And it's not about being apathetic. It's not about doing nothing. It's not about being passive, but it's about posture. It's being battle ready, but not giving the enemy an inch, not turning tail and running away. And I think of an eagle. Um, when an eagle it reaches an age of maturity, it flies up a mountain alone. Its beak falls off. Its feathers fall out. But what happens? It stays still up the mountain. It's in isolation. It doesn't look like it's doing a lot. It looks like it's in a position of weakness. But actually, suddenly its beak grows even longer and stronger. New, healthier feathers materialize. And the eagle's youth is renewed or restored. Um, and I feel that's what happens when we stand strong, when we stand still. Is that it's not about giving the enemy an inch. It's not like we're standing there with our hands in our pockets, like, so, you know, do you think God's going to do anything? Or is this the end for us? But it's a posture <laughs> of strength. Putting your roots down in Christ. Like the Hebrew word klava, of um, you know, knotting or tying your soul to God's, your spirit to God's, your strength to God's, your hope to God. Um, and not backing down. I think that's where a lot of us are right now. Because of a lot of the COVID um scenarios we found ourselves in, those which perhaps happened organically and those which happened um less organically, um, less plausibly, and perhaps with more of a wicked agenda behind them. Um, we don't have time to, to fall apart over every restriction or imposition we dislike, but it's a time to stand um, and to trust that God's going to work it all together for good. And um, that's why I think the story of Moses is of eternal relevance, because every generation in one way or another can apply the messages of Moses to their own time. Amen. All right. So in closing, um, please send us an email at from Dublin to Cleveland at gmail.com. Um, that's the way to get a hold of us to answer our um, questions about Prince of Egypt, to give us some comments or feedbacks on how you enjoyed or liked the movie. Um, my advice, if you haven't listened, watched the movie, do that now. You should have done it when we started the podcast, but, you know, do it now. Um, and uh, <laughs> you will be hearing from us shortly. We'll probably be releasing something either on Christmas or before Christmas. Um, so keep an eye out for that. So have yourselves a wonderful week this week um, as we prepare for God, for Jesus's, for celebrating Jesus's birth and for celebrating all the chaos that goes on around it. So. Um, Brandon, anything you want to close with? Just a, a short prayer over everyone who's been listening over this video. 
guys, wait. Guys? We don't pray to guys. God. <laughs> it's like, who's our Lord and Savior again? <laughs> God. <laughs> we thank you for all the guys who listen to this. And all the girls. And we pray, God, that the story of Moses captivates our hearts all over again. It is a phenomenal story of your power, your goodness, your willingness to save. And you show again and again and again that you are the God of the impossible. So Lord God, no matter how many um, magicians, snakes, if you will, that they have to contend with, Lord, Aaron's staff became the superior animal that devoured the magician's serpents. And Lord God, we declare that that is exactly what you are in their situation. Whether they are facing something demonic or struggles at work, financial issues, um, there are criminals in, in, in their world, hopelessness, despair, bitterness, family, trouble or drama. We declare Aaron's staff over that situation right now, Lord. And that staff is the cross of Jesus. It is over all stronger than all and the blood of jesus is sufficient over their situation today in jesus name we pray it we declare it we believe it and we'll see it manifest in our time amen amen and amen 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 bye everybody